It's podcasting time! This is Just Another Jerk, Dispatches from Japan, a podcast about Japan. But you already knew that. I'm your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast in the usual places, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever. Subscribing means you get automatic updates, which is nice. Good to have something reliable in life, like auto-updated podcasts, at least. Remember to rate the show as well while you're at it, and if you've got some time, write a review. It's time for the third episode of Everything You Never Wanted to Know About Japanese History, a crash course in all of Japanese history. That's right, I'm going to teach you everything that has ever happened in Japan, in 15 to 30 minute easily digestible chunks. Or not. Just kidding. We'd be here until the end of time. Japan is an old country. It has a lot of history. This is just a quick overview of the broadest strokes of a summary of Japanese history. So the last time, we left off with the end of the Muromachi or Ashikaga Shogunate, whichever name you'd like to use. It's the same thing. It was in 1467 when a war broke out over the order of succession within the Shogunate. Now this war, the Onin War, brought about the destruction of both the capital city, Kyoto, and the Ashikaga clan's power. Now, if you look at a timeline of Japanese history, the Muromachi period, the period of the Ashikaga clan's power, if you look at this timeline, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Muromachi period stretches well into the 16th century, but they had little actual power for half of that time. The latter part, I mean, half of it really, is known as the Warring States period, and that starts with the Onin War in 1467. Now, the Warring States period really is just this long list of uprisings and battles and other fighting. Okay, I mean, it's not just a list of fighting. There are plenty of other things that happened, like the arrival of the Portuguese, and, you know, and guys like Francis Xavier, the founder of the Jesuits, you know, bringing Christianity to Japan, you know, with only very limited success. But, you know, whatever, we talked about that previously. But the period from 1467 until around 1600, give or take a decade-ish, it's really just chock full of fighting. 1488, the Kaga Rebellion. 1507, Yo Hosokawa War. 1535, the Battle of Idano. 1555, the Battle of Itsukushikashima. I think you get the idea. There's just this near constant fighting for over 100 years in just all over the country. Different parts of the country see fighting at different periods. It's also during the Warring States period that China suspends trade with Japan because of the fighting. Now, Japan later ends its recognition of China's hegemony. So up until this point, which is 1549, Japan had been sending tribute missions to, to China as a pledge of loyalty as a vassal state. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that China really wanted much to do with Japan at this point in the mid-1500s, but yeah, that was the end of that relationship, that Japan vassal to um, China being the, the, the client state. That kind of ends in 1549. And it was out of this giant mess, this 
hundred plus years of fighting and war, that three very powerful men arose. We have Oda Nobunaga, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and Tokugawa Ieyasu. These are three of the most important names in Japanese history. Period. Now, they're not ex- exactly contemporaries. I mean, they, they do have a lot of overlap. They, they do live, their, their lives do overlap. But they are staggered with one coming after the other in terms of who is in power in Japan. So they're more or less contemporaries. They're kind of three successive. They're not. They're not. They're not the official rulers of Japan, but they are very. They're the rulers of. They're the head of Japan. So by the 1560s, the Ashikagas. They're still the shoguns, but they have no actual power. And there's a daimyo by the name of Oda Nobunaga. So remember, daimyo, that's your Japanese term for duke or earl or whatever. You know, the, the, the people in charge of the area, the, you know, the, the regional areas. So Oda Nobunaga comes to power. And he seizes upon the assassination of one Ashikaga shogun to push for the installation of Ashikaga Yoshiaki to be the shogun. Now, even though there's not a lot of actual power in the shogun's hands the title shogun still carries some weight. And Yoshiaki was, in fact, installed as the shogun. But he really was just a puppet for Oda Nobunaga. And by 1573, Oda decided that it was time to end the charade, and he drove the last Ashikaga shogun, his own puppet, out of Kyoto, which brings the Muromachi, a.k.a. Ashikaga shogunate, to an end. Now, Oda is noted as Japan's first great unifier, at least in, you know, the early modern era. You know, there were unifiers way back in the, you know, 400s and 700s, the very early era. But in early modern, Oda is kind of the first modern Japanese unifier. Oda attempted to unify Japan through brutality, though his tactics were very innovative and effective. So... In 1582, though, in the midst of his campaign to reunify Japan, he was betrayed by one of his followers. And for, for unclear reasons, from what everything I've read, the reasons were kind of, no one's quite sure why. At least what, like I said, what I've read. I'm sure maybe someone out there has a better idea than I do, but I'm not sure. Safe to say, Oda was, he, he was betrayed. And he was ambushed while he was performing a tea ceremony in a temple in Kyoto. Oda, as was common at the time, committed ritual suicide rather than letting his attackers kill him. This is a very common thing in old Japan. Ritual suicide. So you still see those tropes when you see stereotypes of Japan. But Oda, it, it was real. It was a thing. So Oda did commit suicide, ritual suicide rather than letting, like say, rather than letting his attackers kill him. So... There's that. Now, Oda's oldest son, who was his heir, was also attacked, and he also committed ritual suicide, which left Toyotomi Hideyoshi to take the reins. Now, Toyotomi was a commoner by birth who had risen through the ranks in Oda's army to become Oda Nobunaga's right-hand man. And he continued the war of unification 
And that just sounds so oxymoronic, but these were different times, I guess. So, Toyotomi Hideyoshi managed to bring pretty much all of Japan back together within a decade of Oda's death. With a victory over the Hojo clan, you remember them? They controlled the Ashikagas behind the scenes. So, Toyotomi defeated them in the siege of Odawara, and most of Japan was reunified. Which is why Toyotomi Hideyoshi is usually considered the second of Japan's great unifiers. Now sure, there were some areas out in the wilds of the north that were still kind of doing their own thing. You know, most of Tohoku, you know, the northeast, where, where, where I live now. It was kind of just off on its own and wasn't really... It, it was at this time not really considered part of... It wasn't central to Japanese identity. So it was kind of left to do its own thing. But Japan was largely unified at this point and was kind of beginning to settle down after nearly a sesquicentury, which is not really a word. It's a neologism that I just made up because Japan had been fighting for 150 years. It was finally calming down. So as Toyotomi started to get on in years, he attempted to invade Korea. Okay, well, not him personally. I mean, obviously, it's kind of this funny little linguistic tick, isn't it? You know, we always say that the leader invaded a place when, you know, more often than not, they're not actually going to the place being invaded. So, okay, let's put this a little more accurately. Toyotomi Hideyoshi ordered the invasion of the Korean Peninsula, hoping to turn it into an invasion of Ming Dynasty China, which is something that Oda Nobunaga had wanted to do. In 1592, and then again in 1597, Japanese forces attempted to invade the Korean Peninsula. Both of those invasions ended in stalemates, which left Oda and Toyotomi's dreams of conquest of China unfulfilled. Now one more note worth mentioning from Toyotomi's life. He's the one who ordered the public execution of 26 Christians in Nagasaki. So they're known as the, it's the 26 martyrs of Nagasaki, if you know anything about Christianity and Japan and whatnot. So in 1597, there were 26 Christians, four Spaniards, one Portuguese by way of India, so presumably Goa, I guess. One Mexican and 20 Japanese were crucified. Crucifixion was not a common means of execution in Japan. So I guess, you know, that was just Toyotomi giving them an appropriate death or something. But the very public execution and, and torture, of course, they were tortured. The torture and execution, they were a way to keep the average citizen from converting to Christianity. And through this very public, very brutal disincentive, along with the coming period of isolation, Christianity never really caught on in Japan in any major way. It, it, this is just a minor footnote in Japanese history. But, you know, it's kind of good to show, you know, whiny Christians in places like the U.S. or wherever that are complaining about religious persecution. This is what real religious persecution looks like. You know, let's not get into that too much, but like, yeah, you know, like, let's just, we'll leave it there. Like I say, in terms of Japanese history, this is just a minor, minor footnote. So anyway, 1598, Toyotomi Hideyoshi dies. Before his death, 
he had managed to get five powerful daimyo, those those lords of the various realms. He got the five most powerful daimyo to agree to act as kind of a council of five until his heir was ready to take control because his heir was really was just a, a small boy at this time. Now, if you've ever read anything about history anywhere or even watched just any sort of historical period piece, drama, or whatever, I'm sure you can imagine how well this turns out. It went okay for a year or so, this kind of Council of Five, but then one of the regents up and dies. And of course, the one who dies, he was the neutral party peacekeeper in the bunch. And immediately, the infighting begins. There are accusations of disloyalty to the memory of Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and these accusations are leveled primarily at Tokugawa Ieyasu, who is the powerful daimyo from Edo. Now, Edo is the old name for Tokyo. And this infighting, these accusations, eventually lead to bloodshed again. In 1600, the Battle of Sekigahara, which is perhaps the most important battle in early modern Japanese history happens. And it's the battle between the East and the West. Kind of like the East Coast, West Coast rap battles in the 1990s, except nothing like it at all. So you had Tokugawa and his supporters in the East versus the Toyotomi loyalists in the West. Tokugawa Ieyasu and his supporters won decisively and he was able to fully consolidate power across all of Japan, even extending up here into Tohoku, up to the northeast. Meaning that with just a very few far-flung outlying territories like Ezo, which is Hokkaido, that was nominally part of Japan, but not really at this point. But at this point, with those exceptions, the very, very far-flung outlying areas, Japan was unified which makes Tokugawa Ieyasu the third of the great unifiers of Japan. Now, if you've ever studied even a little bit of Japanese history, it's very possible you've heard the name Tokugawa. It was the Tokugawa family that would establish the last of Japan's shogunates. It's Tokugawa Ieyasu who is buried at Toshogu Shrine in Nikko, if you've ever been to Nikko, the big shrine, you go up all those stairs. At the very top, there's a kind of a, a little, not it's not a mausoleum, but it's a it's it's that's the grave, that's the grave site of Tokugawa Ieyasu. So, yeah, he is kind of like I said, he's the last of the great unifiers. He really is one of the most important figures in Japanese history. And there's just kind of a quick aside to kind of give you give those of you with a stronger grounding in European history kind of some framework here. To, what, what, where, what are we talking about? So Tokugawa Ieyasu was born in 1543. Queen Elizabeth I, she was born in 1533, I believe. So they're kind of contemporaries. And Tokugawa Ieyasu died in 1616, which is the same year that William Shakespeare died. So all of this is happening in Japan. Pretty much, this is the Elizabethan period in England. So let's go back to Japan. By 1603, 
Tokugawa Ieyasu had consolidated his power enough to be, clear, to be declared shogun, which begins the period of over two and a half centuries of Tokugawa rule and the shift of the capital from Kyoto to Edo. And Edo, as I said, would later be go on to become Tokyo, which, as I've pointed out before, means eastern capital. So, the capital shifts from Kyoto in the west to Tokyo, Edo, still at this point, to the east. It's not officially the capital, but it's effectively the capital, because the emperor, who I've completely ignored this episode, because the emperor at this point is completely just cloistered in a figurehead, the emperor's cloistered in Kyoto and doing basically nothing. The shogun in Edo is doing everything. So Edo becomes the de facto capital of Japan. So these three men, Oda Nobunaga, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, Tokugawa Ieyasu, they are all hugely important in the story of Japan. I cannot emphasize that enough. They helped establish, for good or for ill, a unified country and set the table for modern Japan to exist as it does. But they were all very different, like their personalities. And there's a Japanese poem, very well Japan, very well known Japanese poem, that was written that shows the difference in their th- in their kind of their personalities and their approaches. So the three lines represent Oda, Toyotomi, and Tokugawa in that order. I'll read it first in Japanese and then give you the translation. Nakanu nara koroshite shimai hototokuisu. Nakanu nara nakasete miyo hototogisu. Nakanu nara nakumade mato hototogisu. So the first line if the cuckoo does not sing, kill it. That's Oda. If the cuckoo does not sing, coax it. That is Toyotomi Hideyoshi. If the cuckoo does not sing, wait for it. And that is Tokugawa Ieyasu. Oda was known to be ruthless. Toyotomi was known to be resourceful. And Tokugawa Ieyasu was known to be resilient and patient. And that's where we're going to end it for today. With everything you never wanted to know about Japanese history, our crash course in Japanese history. Next time, we'll get into the Tokugawa shogunate and all that goodness. There's a lot to talk about there. But for now, let's say enough for today. So please remember to make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate it. Give it a review if you're feeling nice. And please share it with your friend, maybe your enemy, maybe your frenemy, definitely your family. You can find the Twitter for this podcast at Just Another Cast, where you can get little bite-sized nuggets of Japanese history. There's also a Facebook page as well. Search for Just Another Jerk Podcast and like the page. You can get the history little nuggets there too. Uh, please send email to justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to get some fan mail and have that, you know, have something to read on the podcast. Um, you know, if I ever got a fan mail, who knows? Maybe it'll happen someday. We can all dream, can't we? Well, on that note, I'm out. Peace. Peace.